was thinking this morning, we have the B team with us, but we're strong, and God is going to help us through. Thank you for Tom and Claudia, particularly I was talking to Claudia before the service, and she is hurting um, badly, and um, yet she did a wonderful job for us. Let's, let's pray for Claudia right now. Father, we have a number of folks who are close to us, uh, whom we love, who are hurting, and some are in our service this morning. And Lord, we pray for them, and I remember especially Claudia this morning, uh, that you would work in her body and bring healing and renewal of strength. Pray for Tom as he encourages her. Lord, we pray we don't heal. You heal. And so we call upon you and ask you, Father, for your healing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a note in the bulletin this morning about Bible study fellowship. And I would remind you, encourage you, that if you've not been involved in BSF before, be a good time. This Tuesday at five minutes till seven, I believe, will be the last in the series on the book of Revelation. But it also will be a sign-up time for the Gospel of John, which they will begin to study this fall. This was my first excursion to BSF. Heard about it for years, known other people who have been involved, uh, and yet I had never taken advantage of the opportunity. I did so for two reasons uh, this past season. Number one, it was here at our church. It was convenient. Number two, it was a book of Revelation, a book that has challenged me, confused me, and blessed me for many years. So it's been a good study, and I've appreciated it. And if you haven't been involved in BSF, I would encourage you to get involved. It takes a commitment. It's, it's not a Tuesday morning before you meet Tuesday evening time to get catch-up, to play catch-up. But it takes uh, reading, studying, and answering of questions through the week. But it's a good program. We've had a tremendous week. For those of you, I hope most of you who have been here for the revival meetings, uh, to me it was an incredible week. Uh, Cameron McGill is a ball of fire. Don't expect that from me this morning. <laughs> I can remember years ago, Glenn Sink, some of you knew Glenn, he was my close friend. He told me he was speaking one time, and uh, it was in a, a church that had a lot of liveliness and activity, so he decided to bound up the steps onto the platform when it came time to preach, and he tripped on the top step and went flat on his belly. And if you remember Glenn, he had a belly. Um, I thought about doing that this morning, but... Um, 
Then I remembered that Cameron, I'm, I'm twice his age. So folks, give me a break. <clears throat> I got after a pastor for two reasons. I said, Pastor, you really did me wrong. And he said, why? What's wrong? And I said, well, number one, you scheduled me on the heels of a gentleman who was just full of energy, and he was able to go up and down the steps and talk while he was doing it and not stumble. And that's a hard act to follow. Secondly, I said, you remember back in January, you and I were talking, and Ross, you said to me, you know, I get migraines now and then. And it would be good for you to have a message in the drawer that you could pull out in case I called you Sunday morning about 2 a.m. He did that to David one time. He did it to me on a Saturday one time. So I thought, well, um, that Saturday night after we had had this conversation, I, I was restless. I didn't sleep well at all because I anticipated that phone was going to ring. <laughs> Thankfully, it didn't. But I, I took his warning or his admonition, and uh, I put some thoughts together. I'm not a preacher. Uh, this hasn't been what God has used me to do through the years, so when I have to speak, I have to work at something, and I usually start by praying, saying, Lord, give me something. Uh, give me a word, a sentence, an idea that I can develop. And so I'll tell you later how this worked out, but I began to work on a message, and I probably got a good halfway through it. And to my dismay, about a month ago, Ross preached that message. <laughs> I was not blessed. <laughs> You're going to get the same message this morning. Back some months ago, well, let me back up to say three of my four local grandchildren have attended Wake Christian Academy. Two of my granddaughters graduated and uh, did well with their teachers and with their studies. My namesake, TJ, is supposed to graduate, I think, this month. Um, he has uh, drawn a lot of attention uh, in Wake Chapel. He's not like his sisters. He's full of energy. He's got a keen sense of humor. And uh, those of you who have been to some of the basketball games at uh, Wake Christian Academy have seen him in action. Every year, the senior class gets to pick a play that they will act out. And um, this year, it was Fiddler on the Roof. Are you familiar with Fiddler on the Roof? Some of you, I see some head shaking. Uh, I wasn't. I knew some of the music from Fiddler on the Roof, but as far as the plot, the characters, uh, I was ignorant. 
And um, so I thought, well, it would be good to, to see uh, a DVD of um, Fiddler on the Roof before I go to see the kids perform it. These are young people, they're not kids. And so, thanks to my sister Barbara, she gave me a DVD. And the first thing I did was look at it and saw it was three hours long. Um, I can't sit that long. So we, we divided it up into two sittings. And I watched Fiddler on the Roof. For those of you who are not familiar with it, let me give you a little background. I want you to keep this in mind because I'm going to be all over the place this morning. Okay? The theme is the love of God, our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my point this morning. So keep that in mind when I take a few side trips. I, I appreciate David choosing songs reflecting God's love for us and challenging us to love him. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. But The Fiddler on the Roof, it was a, it was a, a play and then later made into a movie. And it was a picture of the Jewish people living in the western part of Russia back in 1905, a little before my time. It was in an area where the Jews were permitted to live. The story centers on a gentleman by the name of Tevye. He was a father of five daughters. And his attempt was to keep them together, to keep the family together in their religion and in their culture. They're Jewish. There were outside influences, as there are today, that were encroaching upon the Jewishness of his family and the community. Three of his older daughters desired to marry for love, and that was beyond their tradition, because usually either the family or an elderly person in the community selected a mate an arranged marriage. Now, you may think that's strange. We don't practice arranged marriages today, to my knowledge, in the Western culture, but it still goes on in some other cultures, I think especially of India. And I have met a Christian lady who is the product of an arranged marriage, where Christian parents knowing their children, got together and spoke about their children and decided that they would make a good match. So in that culture, and back in this day that I'm speaking of, you got married and then you fell in love. Our culture says you fall in love, hopefully, and you get married. You may be wondering this morning, what does Fiddler on the Roof have to do with a Sunday morning message? And I understand that, and if you'll just hang with me, I'll try to, to tie it together. Although the Jews have been persecuted down through the ages, I was not familiar with the persecution in Tsarist Russia back in 1905. 
But that persecution uh, portrays what goes on today. I mean, yes, this is a story. It was a play. It was a movie. But it depicts things that are very real events, even occurring today. Several things stand out to me from the story. Number one, life in Russia among the Jews was especially difficult. In addition to the hatred, they were in great poverty. The small town in which they lived consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. There was a synagogue and a rabbi, and there was an Orthodox cathedral with a priest. But there was never any indication that the two groups or the two congregants ever came together. The main character, Tevye, was intent on preserving his Jewish tradition, although the world around him was changing. The tradition included the family, the closeness of the family, and an important person, as I mentioned previously, who would bring the mate together in marriage. Life was difficult, often, but it was, there was community in that difficult life. Family community was challenged when two of the daughters decided they wanted to marry for love. The family community was fractured when the third daughter decided she wanted to marry a Christian. This fiddler appears on the roof occasionally, fiddling. And uh, I'm not really sure why, except to give perhaps a, a little relief from the tension of the story. Um, I thought of Alan when I was thinking of a fiddler on the roof. And uh, I don't think he would have qualified. You're too big. <laughs> the roof would have collapsed, I'm afraid. This fiddler was slight in structure, and he fiddled away on the roof. Several times during the, the play, Tevye talks to God. And in his frustration, he, he's asking God to, to help or to grant favors. In fact, in one exchange, there was another gentleman there, and he said, uh, we've been looking for the Messiah for a long time. Wouldn't this be a good time for him to come? Haven't we asked the same question in relation to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, we have family, we have relatives and friends who are dying of incurable diseases. People are being shot and killed in our communities. Our current political process is a mess. Our country is in bad shape. We've ruled you, Lord, out of the public forum, out of our schools, our athletic events. We can't even pray before them. As we lift up the eyes of our minds, the world is in a state of convulsion. And worst of all, we as Christians have caved. We've let all of this happen, oftentimes, without a murmur. Well, does the story end well? 
fiddler on the roof? No, not really. The Jews are given about three days to clear out of town. And so they pack up what little they have on carts. They leave their livestock. They leave their homes and things that they couldn't carry with them. And they trudge down a muddy road. Some to relatives in other part of the country, some to relatives here in the United States, and some to nowhere. It was a sad ending. While you may not be familiar with the play itself, perhaps some of the music is interesting. There are over a dozen songs within the score of the film, and you might recognize some of them. Sunrise, Sunset, Tradition, Sabbath Prayer, and one of my favorites, Do You Love Me? For a few minutes, I'd like to focus on a passage that's familiar to us where the Lord Jesus is speaking to the Apostle Peter. Many of you have heard numerous messages based on the exchange between our Lord and Peter. In fact, uh, you will remember some weeks ago that Ross spoke on this uh, same passage. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. A little background. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples several times. First of all, He appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb as she sat there weeping because the Lord had died and uh, she thought they had taken his body. After the physical and verbal exchange with our Lord, she went to the other disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. He's alive. That same evening, Jesus appeared to the disciples and um, all but two of them were there. By that time, Judas had committed suicide, and Thomas was not there. And you'll remember that Thomas says, until I see the nail prints in his hand and the scar in his side, I will not believe. Some eight days later, the Lord appeared again to the disciples, and Thomas was there. And his response was, my Lord and my God. In John 21, Jesus appears again at the Sea of Tiberias, where several of the disciples, seven of them, if I've counted correctly, according to Scripture, led by Peter, had gone fishing. And during the night, they had, had not had any success. And I suspect as they came back to shore, there was a boatload full of tired, salt-coated, frustrated and probably smelly fishermen. And Jesus was standing on the shore, and there was a fire that was burning there. He called out, have you caught any fish? And the resounding message, no, came back. And he said, let your nets down on the other side. And when they did, they could hardly get the nets pulled into the boat because it was filled with fish. At this point, John recognized that it was Jesus, and I can imagine he said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And I've tried to think of what Peter's reaction would have been at that time. He had denied 
that he ever knew Jesus. He had watched him beaten, ridiculed, crucified. And perhaps to soothe his sadness and guilt, he went fishing. That was his default mode to go fishing. Well, sometimes when we're down, I think we have a similar reaction. Um, I find mine in comfort food. It seems as though whenever there's a project around the house that doesn't go correct, go well, I have to pass by the refrigerator on my way to and from working on that project. And so I confess to you uh, comfort food. But others have different kinds of comfort. It may be that shiny red truck, or it may be, what, a house, maybe my children. It could be any number of things. You fill in the blank. Jesus confronted Peter with the word, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? More than these. What were the Z's? These. Some feel that these were the fish. After all, these were fishermen. That was their livelihood. And so perhaps Jesus was saying, do you love me more than these fish? Others feel that he was referring to the other disciples. Is your love for me greater than the love of the rest of the disciples for me? Simon came back, son of Jonah. Do you love me more than these? It's interesting, as has been pointed out many times, that the word that Jesus was using was the Greek word agape. And the response that he was getting from Peter was phileo. Quite a difference between the two words. Agape love is a sacrificial, selfless, unconditional love. It's the highest form of love. And Peter's response was, I phileo you. This is a lower form of love. The exchange between our Lord and Peter occurred three times. And the third time, Jesus used the word phileo. Peter's first response was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus replied, feed my lambs. Be, my, be grazing my little lambs, feed them. The second time he said, Peter, do you, do you love me? And he replied, Jesus replied, Feed my sheep, shepherd or disciple the sheep. The third time Jesus asked Peter again if he loved him, and Peter's reply was probably with some frustration, same question, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus' response to Peter was, feed my sheep, be grazing my sheep. Why didn't Peter use the word agape? 
and his expression of love for the Lord. Certainly he knew the difference between agape love and phileo love. He used the term expressing affection rather than the deep love that Jesus was looking for. Agape signified total commitment, while phileo affection was less than total commitment. Perhaps Peter chose the word phileo because he had been disobedient in the past. His life did not support such a claim. Jesus presses home to Peter the need for unswerving devotion by repeatedly asking Peter if he loved him supremely. You see, Jesus demands total commitment from his followers. He wanted Peter to, leave the, to lead the disciples, and in order to lead them, he had to be totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to have this supreme love for his Lord. Peter was an interesting person. He was a son of Jonah. He was a fisherman. He worked among the Jews. He was a member of the inner circle. Tradition says that he was crucified head downward on a cross. In the list of apostles, he is mentioned first. He was a Galilean, and they were noted for being quick-tempered, impulsive, emotional, and they loved adventure, but they were also loyal to the end. Peter was a spokesman for the Twelve. He was the first to confess and declare him, Jesus, as the Son of the living God. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration, and you remember he wanted to build three temples. You talk about being impulsive. He was there when Jairus' daughter was raised to life, yet it was Peter who denied the Lord before a maiden. He had the saving grace of a loving heart, and no matter how many times he fell, he always recovered his courage and integrity. I grew up in a family where the term love was not verbally expressed. Perhaps it's a generational thing. To my recollection, I don't remember a time that my dad ever said, Tom, I love you. Love was expressed rather than verbally expressed. It was modeled. And that's how I grew up. Love is used a lot today. We talk about loving this, loving that. I love my car, I love my house, I love my Harley, I love my boat love my cottage, you fill in the blank. My children and grandchildren, when we speak on the phone, the final words they usually say is, love you. And I'm sure you have the same experience. And I wonder, is that a, an agape love or a phileo love? But it's always heartwarming. Whoever says it to you, I love you, or 
just plain love you, it's got to be encouraging. Jesus asked the question of Peter, and he asked the question of us today. Do you love me? Do you love me with deep affection? More than that, do you love me sacrificially, selfishly, unconditionally? Do you love me when faced with life's challenges? Do you love me like Job loved me when he said, even though you slay me, I will trust you? Job 13. I must admit that I've struggled with this term love. Uh, Glenda had to train me uh, to tell her that I loved her. And uh, I thought that through our marriage that I had shown her that I had loved her, and I did love her. But as far as saying, I love you, I had to learn that. And after 61 years of marriage, I'm still training. (laughs) And I suspect, too, that when it comes to loving our Savior, we're still in the classroom. We're still learning to love him. What is it that God is asking us? Like his question to Peter, is he asking us to feed the lambs of our day? To encourage them to graze on his word, that ancient book we call the Bible? Does he want us to disciple the sheep next door? People who may be confused and discouraged by what's happening in our world today. Do they need a shepherd to guide them? What's our response to Jesus this morning? Are we, am I, committed enough to love Jesus with agape, love? We've come through a a tremendous time of evangelistic meetings. And I've asked myself since Wednesday night, is there anything different in my life than there was before last Sunday morning? I have pondered that. And I would ask you the same question. We all have personalities. We have, somebody has said, our idiot syncrasies. But... Has anything changed in our love for Jesus Christ as a result of the evangelistic messages that we heard? Let's pray. Father, help us to love you sacrificially and unconditionally. And as we do, lead us to the lambs and the sheep who need to be fed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.